Fanon. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. Flavor Town Market. The fictional grocery store featured in the long-running hit show on the Food Network called Guy's Grocery Games. Yes, Flavortown and Flavortown Market does exist. How do we know? Two reasons. Number one, we were there. Yes, we went to Santa Rosa, California, deep in Sonoma County, and we saw a thing or two of this real mythological, magical place. We got a little taste of it. A little taste. A little enough taste for an amazing review. Unfortunately, though, the lights were turned off. So, we brought along an amazing, significant, badass person who knows Flavortown Market a hell of a lot better than we do because she is constantly there when the lights are turned on and it is working and producing some amazing culinary talent. She is none other than Hillary Kinsler, a producer on Guy's Grocery Games, a friend of mine who we have met on Tournament of Champions with Guy Fieri, also on the Food Network. Who is Hillary besides an amazing producer of Guy's Grocery Games and a plethora of other amazing culinary competitions on the Food Network? Well, you're about to find out. That's right. And let me just say that her resume is fucking amazing. All right. Without any further ado, this is our review of the fictional grocery store. Yes, it counts in the restaurant fiction world of reviewing every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club, and TV and film. Yes, we are going to now include fictional grocery stores that are real. That's right. Wink, wink. It counts. I said it. Here's a review, a conversation with Hillary. Let's go. So, guys, gals, children of all ages, guess what? Restaurant fiction, we go grocery shopping. We go grocery shopping, and don't call us bougie of where we go grocery shopping. Okay, no, no, no. We, we're, not, we're not going to Irwan. We're not going to Dean and DeLuca. We're not going to Oliver's. No, no. We, we go uh, to 
a mythological place, actually. We go to a mythological place called Flavortown. Flavortown Market. Now, yes, mythological places do exist. Flavortown Market, it is in Northern California area. Now, is it the highest of the high supermarkets? Is it the lowest of the lows? Well, that's neither here nor there. We don't think, we think it's for everyone. I think it's pretty much for everyone. And when you are in said Flavortown Market, you actually see brands that you're you're used you're used to. I mean, notice respect to Trader Joe's, but it's like you go to Trader Joe's, you're pretty much going to see a white labeled Trader Joe's something or another. You go to a very um, exclusive supermarket like an Irwan. No disrespect to Irwan. I mean, you're going to pay a premium for that. And it's just, there's a little uh, frou-frou-ness to that. Like, you just go to the Erwan smoothie bar and you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, but back to the Flavortown. Back to the mythological, magical place. Well, they pretty much have everything. They have everything except for cat food and baby food. That's really what they have. But, you know, I mean, but yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, at least from from us, from our point of view. So, anyway... <laughs> Hillary has some words about that. But anyway, why do we love, not only because they have brands we're familiar with, but the creativity, the creativity just goes. There's no other supermarket out there. Like I can go to a Ralph's, a Vons, um, I think in a Jewel in Chicago. I don't know every single supermarket out there in the U.S. Um, I know there's the, uh, oh man, I, what? I don't know the Southern supermarket chains, guys. I, I apologize. The pig and whistle, the piggly wiggly, the piggly wiggly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, of all the supermarkets we mentioned, creativity doesn't hit. When I'm grocery shopping, I'm just grocery shopping. But when I'm in Flavortown, like we don't need chat GBT to help with our creative food recipe ideas. I mean, it's just play. It's just play and let's get down to work and let's get to cooking. But of course, also what's so amazing about the Flavortown Market, I mean, we actually could even test if a recipe is good right then and there because we got the kitchens all set up. Now, for us, we do not like to be judged. So even when we feel like, oh, yeah, we're going to make some food, we're just going to eat it for ourselves and eat it for our loved ones and share it with our loved ones. But if you feel like being judged, by all means, that's on you. Anyway, that's our little review. <laughs> Flavortown Market, the mythological, magical place that does exist. We're talking to one of the show's producers, Hillary Kinsler. Hillary, what do you got to say? What what do you have? What's your take on that? What did we get right? What did we get wrong? The floor is yours. Well, first of all, I hate to break it to you, but there is baby food and there is cat food in the grocery store. In fact, some of the games that chefs have to play involve baby food. What? Um, yeah, I mean, Flavortown is a chef's wonderland is what I would consider it. It's like, if you want something, we have it. If we don't have it, we can get it. And there's any kind of equipment that you're looking for. There's all sorts of equipment. There's all sorts of ingredients, spices, condiments, you name it, we got it. And there's some really weird stuff on those shelves, man. Yeah, what's the weirdest you've seen? I mean, I've seen canned alligator, canned rattlesnake, canned haggis, ostrich eggs, even just like things that are simple, like smoked brown sugar. If there's a spice, we have it on the shelf. 
there's just some really weird, bizarre stuff in there. Frozen avocados. I mean, you name it, we got it. Okay, Flavortown Market. We're here. You're, you're in the set. What's your favorite aisle? I mean, aisle 10 has cheese. And as we know, I love me some cheese. The produce aisle, aisle one is immaculate. It's the most beautiful produce aisle I've ever seen. The condiments are endless. That's that's aisle two. Where's that aisle one? Aisle four or five is international and spice. That's where it gets like a real, I mean, I could spend hours in the international aisle. There's just stuff on there that I've never heard of. I can't even read the labels. I can't pronounce anything, but it's like you want to cook with it, you know? Tell me about this cheese setup. Tell me about this ultimate cheese aisle. <sighs> and did you have a say in it? Because yeah, so tell the audience. So yes, you you are an aficionado. You are a specialist. You are a cheesemonger. You know, I'm telling you from your days in Texas to here, absolutely. Yes, my side hustle is uh, I moonlight as a cheesemonger. I moonlight as a cheesemonger. I love cheese. I'm obsessed with cheese. My dog is even named after a cheese, Montenebro. We call him Monty. It's a Spanish goat's milk cheese that's covered in penicillin Roque 40 which is what they use to make blue cheese. The cheese selection at Flavortown is pretty decent, I would say. We source some pretty decent cheese. You know, you got your stinky cheese, you got your obscure cheese, and then you got your basic bitch cheese too. So, so there's some good choices in the cheese section in, in Flavortown. It's definitely the section that I like to raid when we're done shooting, for sure. So I'm thinking basic bitch cheese like a Velveeta? Smoked Gouda, mm. American cheese, basic orange cheddar mozzarella you know those are basic bitch cheeses to me god bless my wife you see when uh she coined the phrase i never heard basic bitch until i met my wife and then she she schooled me be like monis that's basic bitch i'm like what oh opened my mind like opened my mind i grew i grew yeah (laughs) well i mean when you work in a cheese shop and you have people come in and they they ask you like oh do you have like a manchego and a cheddar and like a smoked gouda? I really love brie. And you're like, all right, you're a basic bitch. <laughs> and you just want to open people's eyes up to like a whole new world when it comes to cheese, right? It's like, oh, you like manchego? Well, let me give you Zamorano or Idiazabal. Oh, you like gouda? Well, let's try this like five-year gouda. Or let's try this like sheep's milk gouda. Oh, you like cheddar? Well, let's try, you know, there's, you try to open up people's minds and palates to different things when you work in a cheese shop, so. So we're, we're let's go down this cheese rabbit hole for a second. Okay, so obviously the host of Triple G is Guy Fieri. Um, we also, Hillary and I have met on another Guy Fieri show called Tournament of Champions. Okay, so what is the ultimate cheese board you are designing for Guy? Oh, man. Well, Guy is a rock star in the culinary world, right? And rock stars like expensive ass things and they also like hard to find things so for guy i would probably choose some really expensive cheeses um you know roquefort comes to mind i think he's a fan of blue cheese and roquefort is pretty expensive these days i would also choose uh, maybe like a extra special truffle like a tartufo cheese from italy i feel like he'd really like a tartufo cheese and maybe just something obscure and weird that he's never heard of I think that guy like would want like expensive cheeses and hard to find cheeses because that's just kind of like what he likes. This is just in general. So how'd you find your voice, Hillary? Well, I started out in television at the age of 16 on Barney and Friends, and it was by mistake. I was looking for an internship 
wanted to be in theater and couldn't find a theater internship. I was hostessing at a country club and a woman said, oh, well, I know somebody that's a producer on Barney and Friends. And I didn't even know Barney and Friends was shot in Dallas, Texas. And so then I became a intern in the art department. And the second I stepped onto that set and I saw those bright lights and I saw the big purple dinosaur and the cameras and the people and, and everything that was going on, I realized that like, that was what, these are my people. Like, this is what I want to do. And from that internship, I went to college at university of Texas in Austin, majored in TV and film after I graduated, moved back to Dallas and worked on Barney and friends again for the last couple seasons that they filmed before it was finished. So I think it hasn't been until the last few years. I feel like I've really found my voice and I've realized I love working on food shows. I love talking to chefs. I'm very fortunate that I also work in post-production. So I get to help edit these shows and that's a skill that not everybody has that works in the field. They don't always work in field and always in post meaning being on set and editing. And so I think that you truly know what you need to get in the moments. And that's, that's, that's awesome. What do you love most about being inside Flavortown Market? I have to say the first time I stepped onto set. Now, we got to take this back because you have to understand that I used... I still am. I was a fan of Guy's Grocery Games long before I ever became a producer on the show. I'm a huge food fan. I'm a total foodie. Clearly, I'm a cheesemonger as well. I love to cook. It is my therapy is to cook. I grew up in a cooking household. I never wanted to go to culinary school, but I always loved cooking shows when I was a little girl. I would pretend I was on a cooking show, even if I was making, you know, pasta roni for dinner. I would pretend I was on a cooking show. I love cooking shows. And Guy's Grocery Games was always kind of one of those shows that it's always on everywhere. And I always love to watch it. And when I found out the company that I was currently working at was acquiring this show, I was basically like, what do I have to do around here to work on this show? So the first time I stepped into Flavortown, you feel like you're in a real grocery store. It's wild. And that's what's really fucking cool about Flavortown. Fuck yeah. No, and, and honestly, it's like, I really like how it's... Uh, there's real brands that you're familiar with. It's not just... Flavortown brands. You know what I mean? Like a Trader Joe's, you're just going to get a Trader Joe's product. All good. No disrespect. It's like, oh yeah, like if I want Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, I got to make something, you know. No, I'm just saying you can have that. Yeah. And I think that people need to know that the, you know, Guy's Grocery Games is going into its like 33rd or 34th season, which does not mean that it's been on air for 33 to 34 years. It just means we shoot multiple seasons per year. The first season of Flavortown was actually shot in a real grocery store in West Hills, California. It was shot at Fields Grocery Store, which is they often shoot commercials and TV shows inside this grocery store. And once the show really took off, they realized, okay, we got to we got to just build a grocery store. And so we built a grocery store in 3 weeks right down the street from Guy Fieri himself in Sonoma County, California. And that's kind of how Flavortown came to be. So it sits there 365 days a year as an actual grocery store, but you can't, nobody can go in and buy anything. I mean, it's not open to the public, but it sits there 365 days a year. What kinds of stories stick with you? Oh, I'm such like an emotional person. Like just because we both worked on the show, Tournament of Champions, the, the moment that Britt Racino upsets Tiffany Faison, the reigning champ, she beats her. I love an underdog story, 
but I probably watched Brit beating Tiffany in that moment. I probably have seen that more than anybody else because I had to edit that. And I cried every single time. I got choked up every single time. There's something about a good underdog story that just really like, you know, just grabs you and 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 takes hold. So I, I love rooting for an underdog. I think it's really rewarding to see them win. Or just somebody that really doesn't have anything to lose, but everything to gain. I think that those stories are really the best, the best stories. Or just people that have like these hardships where you're like, damn, you've been really handed shit. And here you are and you just took it all. And you just want it all. Or you're on TV. Like, this is a moment for you. I think that, I mean, it just makes me feel good. You're a part of a lot of food competition shows out there. What are some characteristics that a food competition show needs to have? I like to say this. Anybody can cook. Right. But not everybody can cook and be on TV. And so that's kind of the magic that you're looking for when you're casting a food competition show is you're looking for a chef that can cook, but you're also looking for somebody that's memorable, somebody that sparkles on television, somebody that your audience is captivated by, somebody that you want to pay attention to them and you want to root for them, somebody that has a good story. If you don't have a story, get out of here. We don't care about you. So, so it's not just about like, are you a good cook? It's can you actually cook and be memorable on television? So that's kind of the first thing is, is your talent that you have. And then I think it's having access to premium stuff to cook with, you know, and Flavortown. That's what's great about Flavortown because you have this, it's a chef's wonderland. They have pretty much anything at their disposal that they can cook with depending on the game that guy gives them. I think that, and just fun, you know, make it fun and make it challenging. What sets apart an average food show from a great one? I think the chefs and the talent. I mean, I really just think that if you have, I mean, food shows, you have to have good food. And if you don't have good food, then why am I watching it? You know? I also think you want to learn something when you're watching food shows, whether it's a tip or trick, something that you can take away from a show. You know, I always kind of joke that I go to like a bad culinary school or a good one. But it's like I'm constantly watching people cook something. And so I might learn a new way to cook a steak or a sauce or a hack that is a shortcut in the kitchen. And I also work in posts. I help edit these shows. And so after you watch somebody making a recipe 50 times, all of a sudden you're craving, you know, some sort of weird shrimp dish. And you don't know why, but you're just watching somebody cook shrimp all day. So that's what you want. And the shows that I crave the most food on are like Tournament of Champions or Alex versus America, where people are just making these super like high technique skilled dishes with incredible ingredients. So I think it's all about the chefs, the pantry, and you know, the caliber of chefs in the pantry that they have to work with. Of all the food competition shows that you're a part of, which one would you actually like to be on as a chef testant? Oh man, that's really hard. You know what? I. I've actually had, you know, everybody has work nightmares, right? I've had so many nightmares where I'm in Flavortown cooking. Like really memorable ones too, like where I'm like searching for parsley and like guy walks past me and he's just like, and I'm like, hey, where's the parsley? He's like, I don't know, I'm out and like walks out. Or, you know, like I can't finish in time. I can't finish my dish in time or I just kind of like go blank. It's like all the things that happen to chefs that I hear happen to them. It's like they all happen to me at once in Flavortown. I don't think I would really want to compete on Guy's Grocery Games because I do actually think it's one of the harder cooking competitions that exists. You know, like we can talk about Tournament of Champions because the caliber of chefs is really, really hard, but also they're not having to run around a full-on grocery store and cook and like have these crazy far-out games that Guy gives them. I mean, the randomizer's tough, 
But I think, guys, grocery games is the hardest, but that's probably the one that I'd want to compete on. Instead of Triple G, you're on TOC. You're on Tournament of Champions. Who are you going to up against? Oh, that's real tough. Do yeah. I want to go up against somebody that I think I can beat, which is no one? <laughs> or do I go up against somebody I really admire, somebody that I could have fun with in the kitchen? You know, as a producer, you develop rapports with certain chefs. There's not a chef that's on Tournament of Champions that I don't love. I'm just kind of like, oh, great. This is who I get to get to follow today, and I'm their producer. Then this is super fun. I have so much fun with Manit Chohan. She, I was, I was her producer when she won Tournament of Champions season two, and I just think she's so much fun. I think that um, Jet Tila and I have a, a, a good relationship, so he'd be fun to. Uh, but it's like I don't want to go up against any of these chefs because I know I would just fucking lose. But what if it's not to actually cook something, but to design the ultimate cheese board? Oh, I would whoop anybody's ass on that. Boom. <laughs> Mic drop on that one. <laughs> All right. For the great chefs out there, let's just even say, yeah, they already have um, accolades or whatever, you know, who want to be a part either of TOC or any kind of one of these food competition shows. What, what advice do you have for them? Well, I know that you can apply to be a contestant. I also know that we have casting people that go out there and search through social media to find chefs. And so I think that if you have a good social media presence, like everything these days, you're easily searchable with our casting department. But um, make sure that on your social media, the word chef is in your name, first and foremost, so that we can find you. I think that you should always keep trying, no matter if we don't cast you. If a producer, casting producer or a producer on the show calls you, like stay in touch with them. Like keep bothering them is what I would do. Because I have chefs who like out of the blue, they'll contact me and then I'm like, oh yeah, well, we're looking for somebody for this show. And then I give their name away and then boom, they're on the show. I just wouldn't give up is my thing. I wouldn't give up. And I think that when you're actually on the show, like I've said before, anybody can cook food, but not everybody can cook food and be on TV. So the most important thing is to be memorable. Just be memorable. Because you have chefs who you talk to them and they've got these big, bold personalities and then you like put a camera in front of them and they just like freeze. And you're just like, oh no, you were so good. So I think being memorable is really important. What advice should they ignore? Don't go on a Food Network show. Don't go on a cooking competition show. I hate it when people are like, oh, well, I mean, somebody told me not to go on a cooking competition show. It's like, no, fucking go on a cooking competition show. What do you have to lose? $20,000? Like... Like, what do you have to gain? Like, you don't have anything to lose. Like, there's nothing bad that's going to come of you being on TV. At least the shows that I'm a producer on were feel-good shows. You know, it's like, unless you burn down the kitchen, we're not going to ever make you look like you're a bad chef. And that's something we kind of take pride in. You know, it's like, even if you feel like you totally shit the bed in the middle of Flavortown, which I hope you don't because that's disgusting. But it's like, I hope that, you know, even if you royally mess up, we're still going to make you look good. We're never going to make you look like you just miserably failed. I mean, we might highlight some of your failures, but it's not really about like, oh my God, this chef is the worst chef we've ever had on the show. And we're going to point that out. Like, unless you burn down Flavortown, then there's no real, we're not going to make you look bad. So I just hear from a lot of chefs or like, if I meet a chef and I'm like, hey, like I'm a producer on cooking competition shows. Like, do you, have you ever thought about being on TV? And they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I, somebody told me not to do that. Well, why? Why did somebody not tell? What do you have to lose? You're going to come on TV and you're going to get to watch it with your friends and family or more people are going to come to your restaurant or you're going to get another opportunity to be on TV. Like, no, just, just show up and cook and have fun. You know, the hardest part is getting on one. 
well, shit, was she a fucking badass, awesome person or what? I mean, the Flavortown market stuff is just the cherry on top. Hillary, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the Restaurant Fiction show, Restaurant Fiction podcast. You are welcome back anytime, all the time. For those who want to know more about how awesome Hillary is, or you have a question that you want answered from an insider, a food TV insider, and you are awesome yourself, you're respectful and kind yourself, well, then reach out. If Hillary's not busy, she'll probably want to answer you and provide a professional and knowledgeable, insightful, awesome answer regarding food TV, not necessarily food network TV, but just food TV. She's on the Instagrams. Hit her up, Hillary Kinsler. As for us, or restaurant fiction, I didn't say this at the beginning, but my name is Amonis Rose. We're out and about, but you found us. You found this episode. Hopefully you find all of our 80 plus more. We're gearing up for episode 100, and it's just going to get better and better as we open up this restaurant fiction world wide. Because the restaurant fiction world, space, the fictional restaurants, bars, and clubs, and TV and film, they're never ending. And they never will stop. Until next time, keep it real, keep it fresh, and always keep on the flip side. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. <laughs>